Our primary text this morning is John chapter 3, 14 to 21. Let me read it for you. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. In this passage, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Now, to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to know why Nicodemus came to Jesus. Now, John says, he gives us this detail, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Why by night? Well, I think some of it is because of embarrassment. Uh, Nicodemus is, is embarrassed that he must ask Jesus a theological question. Now, remember, Nicodemus is a rabbi, a, a Jewish theologian, one who is highly regarded. Now, being a brilliant theologian, I imagine when it, when it is his turn to teach in the temple, it's standing room only. People flock to hear Nicodemus explain what it means to live a life for God. But then here comes Jesus. Now, many consider Jesus to be a hillbilly theologian, a man of inferior education. And yet, Jesus is doing and saying things that confuse the religious leaders like Nicodemus. So what's confusing Nicodemus? Well, we have a clue by going back one chapter to, to John chapter 2. In John 2, Jesus performs two signs. The first sign was at the wedding feast in Cana, where the wine runs out. Now, to protect the families from public shame, Jesus steps in to help at his mother's request. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't take a jar of wine and water it down to make it go further. No. Jesus takes a jar of water and with a command, turns the water into wine. Now, here's what's interesting. Throughout the scriptures, wine is a symbol of God's grace. Isn't that interesting? God's grace. So when Jesus turns the water into wine, it's not just a few bottles of wine. This is what confuses Nicodemus. It's the amount of wine. You see, though the wedding party needed a few bottles, a few couple gallons maybe, Jesus, the text tells us, created between 120 and 180 gallons of wine. Chapter 2, verse 6. And this is a sign of abundance. It points to the abundance of God's grace that Jesus is bringing to the world. 
And like wine that gladdens the heart of man, Psalm 104, 15, the grace Jesus brings into the life of a sinner is in such abundance that it gladdens the heart, heart of sinners who are forgiven. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember when you were brought up out of the waters of baptism, forgiven? What did your heart do? Your heart was glad. You see, the abundance of God's grace was greater than all of our sin. Nicodemus heard about this sign of water to wine. But Nicodemus also heard that Jesus cleansed the temple. Now, he knows the Old Testament. Nicodemus knows the prophets promised that God would one day come to the temple himself. He would return to the temple, Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 to 12. And in John 2, Jesus stands in the temple and he refers to the temple as my father's house. Well, hearing all of this, Nicodemus senses that Jesus is more than an impressive rabbi. Nicodemus also knows that something is changing in his heart. He is being transformed by Jesus' teachings. Nicodemus wants to know what is happening to him personally. And so he meets Jesus at night. There's another reason Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. In John chapter 1, verse 9, John tells us that Jesus is the, here it is, true light which enlightens every man. You see, the darkness of the night when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, it shows us that Nicodemus is still ignorant about the fact that he needs a Savior. He's still in the dark. But Jesus will now teach him so Nicodemus can see his need for a Savior. Now, did you notice what Jesus said? To Nicodemus. John 3, 14 to 15, as Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, even so uh, the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, Jesus take, Nick, takes Nicodemus to an event recorded in Numbers chapter 21. In this story in Numbers, the people of God are in the wilderness. And they have grown impatient. Oh, they're grumbling against God. They're grumbling against Moses. And they're grumbling for, for God sending them into the wilderness. Now, without explanation, God sends fiery serpents among the people that bite and kill many Israelites. Death spreads like a plague among the Israelites through these serpents. The Israelites do two things when this occurs. They confess. They confess their sin of rebellion against God and Moses. And the second thing they do, they beg Moses to pray to God for help in removing the snakes that bring death. Well, what does Moses do? He prays for the people. And God responds. But here's what's interesting. God's response is not to take away the snakes. No, what does he do instead? Instead of removing the snakes that are causing death, God instructs Moses to put the image of a snake on a pole, and whenever an Israelite is bit by a snake that will bring certain death, they are to look up at the image of the snake, and then God will give them life. Numbers 21, verse 8. Now listen to that one more time. It is just so important. 
Whenever an Israelite is bit by a snake that will bring certain death, they are to look up at the image of the snake, and then God will give them life. Did you notice the pattern? Sin, punishment, confession, and then God offers grace. You see, this Old Testament story explains what Nicodemus is experiencing. Now, instead of firing, uh, instead of fiery snakes, Nicodemus has experienced the poisonous bite of sin that causes death. Nicodemus realizes that even though he is a respected rabbi, his spiritual life, it's dead unless God intervenes. And God has intervened. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Mm, I love that verse. And I think the key word to this famous passage is the word so. Yeah, so. Now this word so, it can express how much God loved the world. Here's how it would sound when it's used this way. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Man, that's powerful. But there's a second meaning that so can have. So can also express the manner or the way, the way God loved the world. And here's how this use of the words would sound. God loved the world by giving his one and only son. Now, which version seems best to the context of John chapter 3? I may be wrong, but I think the second version fits best. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the crucifixion of Jesus is God's love for the world. The cross, where God turns death into life, is the only way to understand the love of God. Now consider the darkness. Consider the darkness that God's love has saved us from through the crucifixion of Jesus. Listen to how dark our lives are without Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Uh, verses 1 to 3 say, say this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Did you notice how without Christ and his death on the cross, life is dark? In fact, look at Paul's description again. Sinners are described as corpses in verse 1, dead through the trespasses and sins. Sinners are also explained to be slaves in verse 2, following the ways of the world, the ruler of the power of the air. Sinners are also condemned as prisoners, verse 3, children of wrath. 
Do you remember? Do you remember how dark life was before you knew Christ? Well, just as Israel was initially powerless to do anything once bitten by a snake, as sinners, we were powerless to change our condition unless, unless God intervened with grace. And that is exactly what God did. Are you ready for some good news? Are you ready for some really good news? Look at the action that God took to save us from darkness. We see this in verses 4 to 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what it says. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Did you notice what it said? God gave life to lifeless bodies in verse 5. He made us alive with Christ. But then it also says, God made our salvation secure, verse 6. It says, raising us and seating us with Christ in the heavenly realm. Now, though Satan can still tempt us, he cannot take away our salvation. And though difficulties can discourage us, they cannot take away our salvation. We are secure in Christ because of what God has done. You see, the actions of God are so amazing. Did you catch the language Paul uses to describe a God who would act this way? Paul says in verse 4, God is rich in mercy out of the great love which he loved us. Verse 7, Paul describes such a caring God as having, quote, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, this new light God brings into the lives of Jesus' disciples, it gives us new priorities. Now look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, For we are God's handiwork his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I want you to notice this. God, being gracious in saving us, creates within believers' hearts gratefulness. Notice what the text said in verse 8. By grace you have been saved, so that no one can, can boast. And not only that, there's not one thing we can take credit for in our saving. It was all God. Well, neither can Nicodemus's fame nor his intellectual accomplishments. They could not give him new life. Uh, the Israelites, they could do nothing when bitten by the snakes. But the only thing they could do was look to God's provision of the serpent on the pole. You see, salvation is God's doing, not ours. That is why we live with gratitude to God. 
We live with gratitude each and every day for what He has done. God being gracious in saving Christians, we are to be busy, notice what it says in verse 10, doing good works. God's grace does more than forgive sins. God's grace produces good works in disciples of Jesus. Now, what kind of good works is Paul talking about here? He actually tells us in Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what he says. We are are to speak the truth with neighbors. Chapter 4, verse 25. We are to work and earn a living so we have resources to share with the needy. Chapter 4, verse 28. We are to act with kindness and forgiveness towards others. Ephesians 4.32. Let me tell you a quick story. In 1992, a Los Angeles County parking control officer came upon a brown El Dorado Cadillac that was illegally parked next to the curb on a street during sweeping day. Now, the officer dutifully wrote out a ticket. Ignoring the man seated behind the steering wheel, the officer reached inside the open car window and placed the $30 citation on the dashboard. The driver of the car made no excuses. Uh, No argument ensued, and with good reason. You see, the driver of the car, he'd been shot in the head 10 to 12 hours before, But he was sitting up. He was stiff as a board, slumped slightly forward, and there was blood on his face. He was dead. Now, the officer was so preoccupied with the ticket writing, he was completely unaware of anything being out of the ordinary. And he got back in his car, and the police officer drove away. You see, many people around us, they are dead in their transgressions and sin. Now, what should catch our attention most is their need not their offenses. They don't need a ticket. They need a Savior. Through Nicodemus, Jesus shows us that everyone needs a Savior. Do you know my Jesus? He is the light of the world. In fact, speaking of light, whatever happened to Nicodemus? Did he find his way out of the darkness and into the light of Jesus? Well, the Gospel of John tells us in John 19, 38 to 41, that after Jesus had died, it says this, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight, And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And then John gives a unique detail that gives us a clue into Nicodemus' heart. In John 19.31, we learn that the Sabbath was quickly approaching. Now, the Sabbath would have begun at sunset on Friday. So here's the implication. It is almost sunset on that Friday. The light is still shining. And as the setting sun shines on Jesus' dead body on the cross, John tells us that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus laid Jesus' body in a garden, in a new tomb where no one had ever been laid. Now, if at the beginning of John's gospel in chapter 3, we encounter Nicodemus in the darkness of night, By the end of the gospel, in chapter 19, we find Nicodemus walking in the light, carrying the blessed body of Jesus and lovingly placing Jesus in the tomb of resurrection. 
Now listen to John chapter 3, 19 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What happened to Nicodemus? By the end of John's gospel, I think he finally saw the light and he came to follow Jesus. My friend, if you want to know more about what it means to live with Jesus and follow in the light of Jesus, contact us. Uh, put a comment in this section right here or, or email us at connect.blendville at gmail.com. That's connect.blendville at gmail.com. We want to tell you how you can come into this relationship with Jesus Christ by faith and baptism into this glorious new life that Jesus offers. Reach out to us. God bless.